never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that would like to remind everyone, for the holidays, don't forget to turn your scales back 15 pounds. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Here. How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. How about you? I'm all right. Just make sure you got that scale turned back for that extra holiday weight. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know if that was some weird, like, fantasy reference or something like that. <laughs> oh, no, like you turn the clocks back, but, you know, you got to account for the extra food for the holidays. You turn the scales back. <laughs> I, just, I like it. I like it. I was trying to make a weird... <laughs> That was a stretch. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. I'm probably the only one who didn't get it, so it's all good. Um, but I, yeah. I got that. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah. How have you been? What's going on? Um, not too much. Just getting ready. Um, I don't know the timing of when this is going to be released. I guess this will be post Thanksgiving, but kind of just getting ready with more Thanksgiving stuff around my house. <laughs> How so, you up to anything exciting? So yeah, this will drop the Monday after Thanksgiving. So technically Thanksgiving happened. How was yours? <laughs> yeah. But, um, coming from the future, <laughs> oh, it, was it was great. Um, yeah, no, this will drop. This episode will actually drop the Monday after Thanksgiving. So, you know, when you're, Stuper back to work. I hope we're something you can listen to. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Stay safe. Have some good food. Drive safe. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, Peter, what did you watch this week? Yeah. So um, I've only had time to watch a couple things. Um, one I can keep pretty short unless you've watched this as well, Drew. But uh, Blue Beetle is uh, oh. is streaming. On HBO Max. Have you had a chance to check this out yet? I how I went to watch this week's episode of John Oliver, which was fantastic, and I was like, "Oh, Blue Beetle dropped, sweet." I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet. So okay, um, that is uh, on my list to jump on the bandwagon of. <laughs> so we've had it on like a little bit, like semi as a background mm-hmm. thing in my house. Like it's one of those things where once it started streaming, we watched it again, and then. Here and there, it just seems to be like somebody will put it on and it's just as a background noise. But I still think this movie's really good. I think it was kind of like criminal, criminally, um, it got criminally low box office numbers. But uh, no, I think it's a great, solid movie. And uh, even though, like, admittedly, there are some clunky moments in the movie, like maybe some of um, Jaime Reyes's uh, family's like jokes might fall flat or something at certain moments. I think overall, it's still like a really solid movie. Like, I've actually been enjoying it more with rewatches than I think I did in the theater even, which is kind of cool. So um, so that's awesome. And everybody should go watch Blue Beetle. 
Um, otherwise, the big thing I watched this week was I watched uh, Scott Pilgrim Takes Off on Netflix. Okay. Uh, have you had a chance to check this out, Drew? Have you? How far are you? I am finished. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, great, because you can comment a little bit more than me. I've only gotten a chance to watch the first two. So, um, yeah, just because the way my schedule is. My life – so check this out. I worked – the past like month or so past like maybe two months has been so absolutely crazy at work that I just, and then throw in, you know, the kid, my kid joining the basketball team and his basketball schedule landing on things. It's just been completely nuts. So my watching and reading has been low, but as of today through Thanksgiving, and I don't have to go back to work on Monday when this episode drops, I'm on vacation <laughs> for six days. <laughs> so, I have some stuff that I plan on watching, and I have a list for myself over the course of the next couple of days. We'll see how much of it I get through. I know exact. I know I'm watching David Fincher's The Killer tomorrow morning when I wake up. That is the first thing I do while I eat my breakfast. Um, so we'll see what all I can consume. Um, so yeah, I only got a chance to watch the first two episodes of Scott Pilgrim. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So you've seen um, the big thing that I really didn't want to spoil. So that's good. Um, I okay. guess we can the warning um i'm not going to spoil anything outside of the first two episodes but there is a spoiler warning on uh the segment for scott pilgrim takes off but um drew i'm kind of with you like i wasn't able to start this season or this series until like late into the weekend like it the series dropped on i think it was on friday and uh, i wasn't able to start watching it till saturday or sunday and uh, you know the way that that social media is like if you wait a day to watch something that has you hype like this. you wait like an hour. Let's be real because someone <laughs> someone's got a been able to get up way earlier than I have and B probably got an early early viewing because they work for like, I don't know, IGN or something and had to review it so they could post their review early. You know what I mean? So yeah. anyway. So that's that's my point, though, is like it was like the first day this dropped. I'm already seeing people reviewing it online. Like I'm not seeking it out. It's just like stuff that pops up in the Twitter feed and stuff like that. And I'm just seeing people talk about the series. And uh, it really surprised me because I was actually seeing a lot of uh, backlash about the series. Like I wasn't seeing people say like, oh, this is awesome. I was seeing people say like, oh, this is this series is disappointing or, oh, this series is a bait and switch. Like a lot of people are throwing that word around bait, bait and switch because spoiler alert, Scott Pilgrim gets killed off in at the end of the first episode. Yeah. Now here's the thing. <laughs> the first episode plays out really similarly to the movie, um, which is also very similar to the first volume of the comic. Yeah. It's very like, we're going to, tell everything ultra fast we're gonna fit like the first act of, act of the movie into a 20 minute cartoon episode and it's gonna end with the fight between scott pilgrim and matt patel and matt patel is the uh he's ramona's first evil ex that uh scott pilgrim fights and uh it's kind of plays out where it's like scott pilgrim dies at the end of that fight okay so i've spoiled the first half an hour of the series that's all i'm gonna say from there, I actually think the series is so cool because you have to remember we have six volumes of graphic novels of the original Scott Pilgrim story. We have a full live action movie 
about Scott Pilgrim. And especially if you read the comics, you know that at certain points, like at certain chapters of the comic, it'll focus on different characters. Like you'll read a chapter of the comic and it'll just be focusing on like, you know, Knives Chow is off doing something crazy and she gets in a knife fight with somebody or like here's the chapter that's just going to focus on what Steven Stills is doing. If you read the comic, there's a lot of points where Scott Pilgrim isn't the main focus. And so watching this show, I kind of felt it felt very similar to that sort of vibe where it's like, okay, Scott is out of the picture for a little bit. And now we're focusing on uh, this weird sort of uh, it's almost like a weird what if storyline, like the Marvel what if comics. It's almost like the what if version of what if Scott Pilgrim lost and then how would things play out? And then you have Ramona going through and kind of she ends up having to be the one to confront all of her evil exes, which is kind of a cool like um, I don't know the right word. It's kind of like a just sort of uh, way to see the it's a very just alternate way to see the story play out. Maybe, you know, maybe <laughs> these are confrontations that Ramona should have already had in the past, but to me, watching the series, and again, Drew, I'm trying not to say too much, but watching through the series and seeing all these characters that we love and uh, in this weird what-if scenario, seeing them interact in ways that are unexpected but also seem really natural, it's just really cool. Like, it seems like this really fun supplemental what-if storyline. And that's kind of what I'm left with is I, as a fan of the movie and as a fan of the comic, I think this is awesome, you know, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. Um, well, because, I don't because start, you so. finished it, your opinion's a little different than mine. And since I've only yeah. watched the first two episodes, I was like, so when Scott Pilgrim at the end of that first episode, I was like, what? And I was waiting for like the redirect. I was waiting for the gotcha. And then we're back on track thing. And then in the second episode, you go to Scott Pilgrim's funeral. You know what I mean? I was like, what is happening? So <laughs> my brain was a little like i don't know where this is going i'm with it i like what i'm watching thus far but what <laughs> you know yeah so um to be completely honest because of the departure i think i like the movie better but that's only because of the departure and i'm not fully vested the way i had, was with the movie as many times as i've seen it and i've only read a small portion of the comics to really know much, you know? Yeah. So, um, so what I'll say with that, and again, like I'm trying to keep this as vague as possible, but I guess my main message would be don't quit after episode one. Like, Oh, what, I'm not, I'm not quitting. I'm going to finish it. I just, I'm kind of saying that more to the audience too. Like oh, don't gotcha, be so gotcha. upset with uh, what happens to Scott in episode one that you quit. Because the way things play out is really interesting and really satisfying. But also, like, I'm with you, Drew. Like, I don't know if this is, you know, is this show as good as the movie? Is it as good as the comic? I'm not sure. But the way everything plays out in a weird way, the way everything's wrapped up, it feels like <laughs> it feels like the movie, the book and this show can all be considered canon. And, like, they don't contradict each other. Mm. And that's all I'm going to say. But I personally, as, like, a fan, I thought it was awesome. Um, and, like, the 
I don't know. The, the the show is such a good representation of the vibe of the comic in general. Like a lot of the people who are hating on it, it makes me wonder if they've actually read the comic or if they were just a fan of the movie. So that's a whole other discussion. But uh, no, I'm loving this so far. And I, I really hope I haven't said too much. <laughs> so I can no, not at that. all. Not at all. And I was I'm going to I was planning on watching it anyway. I just it was just yeah. such archer from like the comic that i was like wait what and i was <laughs> speaking with our friend audrey this past weekend uh because we had a dnd night so she came over and we were talking a little bit and she was like no this the movie follows the comic more than uh the show does but she's like keep watching like you know that's really all she was able to say so um <laughs> yep that's great yeah so yeah scott pilgrim i'm liking what i'm watching so far so there's that um I watched a little bit more of the show Upload on Amazon. Peter, I'm telling you, you need to watch this show. I know I've been <laughs> talking about it for a couple of weeks. You really need to watch this show. It is getting so good. And I just started season three. And that's there's only three seasons available. So I don't know if it ends at season three or if there's going to be more. But there's only the three seasons available. So I just started it. And, dude, it is getting really cool. Um, yeah, just on a on – a, on a you like the internet you like technology like some of the stuff like it's it's funny but it's gonna be like wow this is such a cool show so seriously seriously check it out um the other thing that i was gonna watch today i was gonna try and get it in before the show started but um i had a weird so apple tv dropped the first three episodes of monarch which is the godzilla show right okay and I was trying – I wanted to get at least the first episode in before the show started. But when I logged into Apple, it was acting like – they're like, start your free trial. I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I'm like, what? And then I couldn't find the sign-in button. And I'm like, what is happening? And then I found it, and then I didn't have time to watch the episode. <laughs> so yeah. I wasn't actually, like, logged out. It was like – they must have done, like, an update, so they changed the menuing. And I'm like – and I actually wasn't logged out. I was actually in the whole time. And I'm like, what is going on here? So – that always seems to happen when you have like this you have like this crazy itch to watch a specific show or a specific movie. And that's when it's like, you know, start your free trial or like for some reason it won't let you log in. And you're like, damn it, I guess I'm going to watch this other thing that's kind of similar, but just isn't going to satisfy the itch. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I know. So I will. My plan is to have some of Monarch watched before we sit down next to discuss, because I really want to check out. That show, it looks fantastic. Um, so I'll have a review there. And like I said, I'm going to try and watch. Uh, my plan is to watch uh, David Fincher's The Killer tomorrow morning when I get up. Um, so if you what didn't know. Streaming service is The Killer on. I keep hearing uh, it get. But it's Netflix. OK, cool. I'll have to check that out. As yeah, well. it was a it was a it was a limited theater release and then it's officially on Netflix now. So it's. A, yeah. So nice. Um, at any rate, that's basically all I have for my watching because the week's been nuts. But I'll have a lot more to review next time we talk. Um, so, yeah, you want to talk about the news? Yeah, let's go for it. <laughs> cool. All right. We got smacked in the face with news last time. Not so much this time. Um, it's almost like, hey, here's all the things. And now it's like it's a little light. Uh, so we got some quick hit stuff. We'll go through it real quick here. Um, according to Taika Waititi, according to Taika Waititi, Chris Helmsworth and Marvel are in apparent talks about making a fifth Thor film. 
um, Taika Waititi is not involved in the fifth Thor film. Um, I don't know what to make of that just yet, other than, hey, we got a, another Thor movie coming. I think we all knew that was coming, but, you know, um, I don't know if you have anything to add. I just, you know. Yeah, I saw this. I didn't really know what to make of it. It seems kind of interesting, but I don't know. It's I think this stuff happens all the time. Like a director will do a couple movies and then move on to something else. And uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's it's time to see Taika Waititi do something else. Maybe do something more independent. You know, I, I'd be up for that, too. So yeah. <laughs> not too much um, to say on that. I guess <laughs> um, Ralph Macchio and Jackie Chan are teaming up for a new karate kid movie. I heard about this. <laughs> and so first off, okay. Um, and I love Cobra Kai was fantastic. So to be, ho- to be honest, I would love to see Cobra Kai come to an end because it's the final season of Cobra Kai. And then the movie, this new movie, pick up where Cobra Kai leaves off and kind of close it all out. I'm going to be honest. I think that'd be amazing to do um, because Jackie Chan, they haven't incorporated him into the show at all. So it'd be kind of cool to see if they did something like that Um, or they just leave the show as its own thing. That'd be cool too. But uh, they're holding open auditions uh, to see who's going to be the next karate kid. I'm pretty sure I'm too old for what they're looking for. So I'm going to have to, bow out <laughs> that's hilarious <laughs> just, just saying so i'm gonna bow out of the auditions on that but um <laughs> you don't want to show up and steve buscemi it like how are you doing fellow kids um yeah no uh, so did you did you ever see the uh so jackie chan was in a karate kid movie with jaden smith right uh did you ever see that one i never actually watched that one i did not no i did i did watch the hillary swank uh the next karate kid or whatever it was i think that's what that was yeah the next karate kid um the hillary swank one which wasn't horrible but that was the last one with action that that was one of the actual mr miyagi and i've been kind of waiting for her to show up in cobra kai because they've been pulling in all these other people um, they've been pulling in from every Karate Kid movie except for the Hillary Swank one and um, the Jackie the Jack- Chan, Jaden Smith one. The Hillary Swank one, however, I was thinking had a chance because they got one more season of Cobra Kai, and it makes sense to me. Like, why not? Um, and then, or you could just do that final season and bring in Jaden Smith as well. But you know, I don't know. Yeah, t- yeah, totally. Um... That uh, that actually sends my head down another rabbit hole because I think uh, Jaden Smith. Cobra Kai, right? I have not yet, dude. <laughs> oh my god, Peter. So, <laughs> so Netflix is doing like Cobra Cobra Kai started as a YouTube show and went to Netflix. And I know Jaden Smith has done stuff with Netflix, like he did that. Uh, he produced that uh, Neo Yokio anime with them and stuff. Yeah. So it makes me feel like he. Definitely could make an appearance in Cobra Kai. Um, I guess my main question, though, regarding the Jackie Chan Karate Kid movie, does that movie take place in the same universe as the classic Karate Kid movies? Because that—that's the thing about this. I—I think it's its own thing. And that's what—what's weird to me about the story is like Ralph Macchio and Jackie Chan, you know, <laughs> collaborating for a new Karate Kid movie. It just, I was just like, well, are those even from the same universe? <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. 
<laughs> I didn't know what to make of it yet. So, right. Yeah, I don't know either. So <laughs> we shall see when that comes out. Um, Stephen Yun from Walking Dead is apparently going to play the Sentry for Marvel in the Thunderbolts movie. Um, I don't know if you saw this. Yeah, I think this is pretty interesting. Um, um, what are your thoughts here? Well, my thoughts on it, the casting. So it's funny. We talked about this a long time ago, maybe about a year ago. I made some comments about casting. I can't get upset about casting anymore because every time I, every time you get upset about casting, you turn around and you see the final product. And very rarely lately do you disagree. Um, I know people freaked out about Ben Affleck being cast as Batman. And then we saw it and the talk on Affleck stopped. You know, yeah. Fletcher is a good example. Michael Keaton's a good example. Um, you you hear a cast and you're just like, oh, really? I never would have pictured. That. And then you see it and you're just like, oh, OK, that's amazing. You know what I mean? And you it, it all all the talk stops. So I don't want to, like, argue about the casting. What I don't like is the character. I really have don't like the Sentry. And okay. and this is coming from someone who reads comic books. And I think the Sentry is kind of dumb. <laughs> so. Yeah. Like, is, do you think he's too overpowered or like, what is it? I he's he is an overpowered character, but he's overpowered in the weirdest way. And it's kind of a massive. And in my opinion, it's kind of a fourth wall break um, okay. on, on a big, big scale, um, bigger than they've ever done before, like bigger than. And I think it's a fourth wall break bigger than the She-Hulk or a Deadpool or anything like it's huge because he's essentially a comic book character character off the page and then you throw in his powers but he's essentially has like he's got reality altering powers like and i'm thinking to myself like scarlet witch okay but ultimately scarlet witch is more powerful than the sentry is and you think about it like it's the weirdest thing but when i read the book when i read it i was kind of with it for a little bit and then the more i read through um i really just didn't like the character like, I just, I'm like, I just don't like this guy. He's kind of dumb and kind of pointless and a complete waste of my time right now. So I finished the whole arc because he his uh, his introduction was in the New Avengers uh, storyline uh, that was like started in like 2005 ish. I think that's when that story arc starts uh, when that when that got released. Um, I finished the whole run. It was a great run. It's probably one of the best Avengers story arcs you'll ever read. But the Sentry stuff, I just didn't like because I don't like the character. So that's my opinion. I I was kind of excited about this. And I don't know a lot about the Sentry, but I know he's touted as, like, such a powerful character. And, like, there's even, um, you know, you'll see YouTube videos about, like, who would win in a fight, Sentry or Superman. So, like, obviously, like, he's pretty far up there when it, when you're talking about power levels. But um, like I said, I don't know a ton about the character. What kind of surprised me about this is uh, I've been seeing a lot of backlash about this too. And to me, it's kind of weird because I thought everybody liked Stephen Young. Like, I think it's kind of weird. that Oh, people... I like Stephen Young. I don't, and yeah. I don't have any problem with the casting of him as the Sentry. I just don't like the Sentry as a character. <laughs> yeah, That's and it. I kind of feel like he... I feel like Steven Yun has fallen into this hole where he everybody sees him as Glenn from The Walking Dead. And I feel like he's so deserving of like a lot more 
big roles. And it's I was just kind of happy to see him get this, you know, because I feel yeah. like we haven't seen him in something this big in a while, you know, so. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I'm I'm down for seeing how what they do with it. I'm down for seeing him as the character. So, you know, let's let's see at this point. Um, right. OK, moving on. Um, Melissa Barbera. From Scream, from the Scream franchise, she plays the older sister in the newer Scream movies. She is officially out and being dropped from the cast for Scream 7. Um, she's no longer starring in Scream 7. She was dropped from the project after a series of social media posts in the wake of the Israel-Hamas war. So she said some stuff that the studios didn't like and dropped her from the role, basically. Uh, right. That sucks. And I don't know what that's going to do to the franchise. Uh, you still, t- I assume you still have Tekken uh, Jenna Ortega, so we'll see what happens there. But I don't know what that does to the story that they had originally planned on. But I like Scream, so I'll be there for it. Um, okay, Dave Filoni. Congratulations to Dave Filoni. Look, I've been a fan of Dave Filoni since the early Clone Wars days when we first started hearing the name. And you're like, this guy's cool. He's learning at the feet of George Lucas. He's he's, you know, showrunner on Clone Wars, showrunner on Rebels, he's showrunner on uh, Mandalorian, he's showrunner, director, all that stuff on Ahsoka. He's got the new movie coming. He's a he's becoming a household name in the Star Wars universe. Dave Filoni is now Lucasfilm's chief creative officer. (laughs) Um, He will help guide a new generation of Star Wars projects. Uh, Filoni said in this new role it's opened up to basically everything that's going on uh, when we're planning the future of what we're doing now. I'm involved at the inception phase. So Dave Filoni, I think aside from like he's not CEO, but he's pretty darn close because I feel like he's officially moved himself into the position of the actual new George Lucas. Right on. Yeah. So congratulations to Dave. This is fantastic news. And Dave, I know you're listening so please get that Rogue Squadron something going. Like, I don't care if it's the movie or a television show. I really think Rogue Squadron should be a show. I do. I think it'd be so good as a show uh, because I want to see X-Wing TIE Fighter battles. Um, but by all means, get the movie because I'd love to see it as a movie, too. I just I think Top Gun in space is too easy of a, it's it's right there. <laughs> you know, get that going. <laughs> to me, this is just great news because it's like. We talked about this with uh, Ahsoka, is how, like, when you watch Ahsoka, you can tell that um, Filoni is kind of, like, spearheading this show, and he has, like, in mind this sort of um, outline for where things are going. Like, he's taking us places, he's leaving us hints at what's going on the next season. I know uh, Filoni was going to be doing a uh, movie that was a crossover between Ahsoka and a couple other of the uh, Disney Plus shows, but... My main takeaway was just that he had focus, like he knew where the story was going. And I just remember hearing like an old quote from J.J. Abrams that like when Ryan Johnson killed off Snoke in uh, The Last Jedi, J.J. Abrams didn't know that was going to happen. And you're just sitting there like, how can the director of the first movie not know what's coming down the line? Like that just seems so focused. It seems like they have no outline. And I think... Star Wars has needed this for a long time. They've needed their sort of George Lucas or their Kevin Feige. They need the guy who's not only the face of 
like he's not only like kind of the face behind the scenes of everything, but also the guy who's keeping the ship running and knows where we're supposed to go. And I think they've really needed this. And uh, I'm just so excited for it. So, yeah, congrats, Dave Filoni. This is this is awesome. You know, this is fantastic. And it gives me high, high hopes, not expectations, high hopes, because um, we all want to see the ship righted with Star Wars. Yeah. Um, Okay, dude. This this one's for you. Final news story of the night. Superman, <laughs> Superman legacy news. Did you hear about this? I think so. Keep okay, going. we got we got some casting. James Gunn dropped some nuggets for us. So first off, Superman legacy adds Skyler uh, Gisando. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, he will play Jimmy Olsen. Um, yeah. If you don't recognize him, he played the older brother in Vacation. Um, with the Ed Helms, uh, Christina Applegate one. He's the older brother. Um, when you, I when I heard the name, I was like, who? And then I looked him up. I was like, oh yeah, that guy. I think he'd be a fantastic Jimmy Olsen. So I'm down. That sounds great. And then <laughs> Sarah Sampar Sampaio, Sarah Sampaio is gonna play Eve Tessmacher. Um, oh, okay, nice. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on either one of those castings, but those got announced. James Gunn's like finally given us some nuggets. So, yeah, I mostly saw the Jimmy Olsen one. Um, this uh, Sarah Sampano. I don't know if I'm that familiar with her, unfortunately. But um, yeah, she looks good from for the part from what I can see. And um, yeah, as far as the uh, Jimmy Olsen, uh, Skyler, uh, I can't remember his last name, but he I think it's he's just somebody you look at and it's just like, OK, he looks like Jimmy Olsen. And he's one of those actors who I've seen in a number of movies like he he always plays like some sort of bit part. But I've never like thought he was bad. So I think this is a good sign. Like he seems like pretty good casting, you know, and that's kind of kind of where I'm at with this. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, here's the big casting. We have our Lex Luthor for Superman Legacy. Um, Nicholas Holt has been officially cast as Lex Luthor uh, for the upcoming Superman film. Uh, thoughts on this? This is another one where I like Nicholas Holt as an actor. I think uh, I think I've enjoyed all the movies that I've seen him in, whether it's like, you know, the uh, X-Men movies that he played Beast in or if we're talking about like Warm Bodies or some of the other stuff. But I think he's a good actor and this is just one of those things where I think we're going to have to see him with the sort of classic Lex Luthor look like we're going to see that sort of screenshot released of him in like a suit coat and a shaven head and it's going to be just like that's what's going to make or break it you know and I think yeah. we're going to see we're going to need to see a couple lines of dialogue but I'm totally for this and um I don't know. He seems like a good cast because he's somebody who could play the role for a long time as well. So that's definitely good. Um, have you ever seen him play an, a villain? That's actually what I'm kind of wondering now, <laughs> thinking back on the other movies. I feel like he always plays kind of like a uh, kind of like dorky main character. Nicholas Holt? <laughs> sort of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, ever seen him play a villain? Ooh, I'd have to dig into that. Because it's so when I saw the casting for Nicholas Holt and it was like a side by side next to Lex Luthor, I was like, oh, yeah, OK, that makes sense. And then I started thinking about it. And you haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, have you? No, I haven't. I haven't seen Oppenheimer yet. Um, Josh Hartnett is an Oppenheimer. And I 
was like when I saw him on screen, I was like, oh, I haven't seen Josh Hartnett in a long time. All right. And I'm just with it. And I was thinking back to Oppenheimer when I saw the casting for Nicholas Holt. And I was like, you know, to make a really good Lex Luthor is Josh Hartnett, man. If you look at him like him now, not originally, but him now, he's he's gained a little weight. And I'm not talking like hefty. He just looks more like built. And then because of like his age, I'm like, dude, shave his head like he'd be he'd be like he'd look spot on. I mean, Josh Hartnett's a good actor, and so is Nicholas Holt, so we'll have to see how it goes. I don't have anything against Nicholas Holt's casting, but I was literally like, Josh Hartnett, man, why don't we take a look at him? But Yeah, it is know. interesting to see. Um, I feel like James Gunn's casting for these characters seems to be like he's casting people you can see in the role, and you're just like, okay, yeah, that sounds right. And I feel like, as opposed to Zack Snyder, which like obviously like we love Snyder's movies and his casting and stuff, but I feel like Zack Snyder had more of a method of like, I'm going to cast people who fit the role, but also seem kind of ridiculous. And then we're going to break the internet with it. Cause like Drew, you mentioned the Ben Affleck thing earlier and like, that's what happened. Zack Snyder cast Ben Affleck as Batman and everybody lost their mind and it was hilarious. And so it's interesting to see with so much, with, so many or with both Superman properties coming out so close together, it's cool to see the different casting methods used and being able to compare them and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, I just I think uh, I think what they've shown us so far is moving in the right direction. And. Um, yeah, I'm just excited to get some news. James Gunn also confirmed that the script for Brave and the Bold has not been written yet. That's not that big of a deal to me. So everyone can, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they don't have a script yet. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. We're, we're moving on some new stuff and James Gunn's building a universe right now. So I'm all right with that. Um, yeah. Um, that brings us to the end of the news, man. Unless you have anything you want to add in, like I said, compared to last week, this was a light week for news. So. Yeah. Uh, not too much. So yeah, we can go do the list. Oh, if you want. <laughs> talk about tonight's list so we're gonna roll the thing and be right back and now for the top five all right peter this was my pick this week um it's something i thought about a long time ago and apparently so did you um yeah so (laughs) Uh, when we were talking about it last week, apparently you thought about this as well. I don't know how hard you thought this list was. Um, I feel like I didn't tap it the way I wanted to tap the list. Like, I feel like I was not, I didn't, I feel like there's, there were too many choices. (laughs) Um, like for example, all right. So not to bury the lead. So if you missed out last week, the list we're talking about tonight is iconic weaponry in pop culture, I guess, is the best way of wording it. So whether it be from television, movies, video games, comic books, um, iconic weapons like Captain America Shield, for example. Right. Um, those it's it's specific to a character, it's specific to a purpose and all that stuff. And we like it because, you know, maybe we want to own it, that kind of thing. Um, there's some really cool weapons out there. So I thought it'd be a fun list to talk about. However, um, I just feel like it was such a broad topic that there was stuff that I wrote down that I was like, oh, man, like that needs to be on my list. Oh, wait, that and like the short list got longer and longer and longer. And it was I just thought that's what I found difficult. Um, but I had to dig into the idea of stuff that I really cared about. So right on. Um, 
for my list, I found it pretty easy to put this together. Um, I had like a decent sized short list um, for tonight, but when it came down to it, it still was like the top three or four weapons I thought of just stuck with me. You know, it's like, sure. Those are the, those are the first ones you think of for a reason sort of thing. But um, I found that uniqueness really affected my picks. Like there's a couple uh, weapons that I went with that are just so unique to what they are and to what the property is that that really kind of edged out some other ones, um, if that makes sense. And I can get into that uh, a little more later. And the only other thing, because the way you pitched this, Drew, was that this was like our favorite iconic weapons. And uh, that made me second guess some of our some of my picks. Um, I have an honorable mention that isn't iconic at all, but I love it so much that I wanted to include it. But uh, otherwise, I do think all my picks are iconic weapons, but it is something to think about, like, is your pick that iconic? Is it that recognizable? Is it part of the sort of collective sub subconscious or is it a random obscure weapon that you love from some random computer game nobody's ever played? You know, you got you have to look at, um, you know, how does this fit into the world of pop culture? And I think that's an interesting angle to look at. And I don't know if you focused on that focused on this list from that angle at all drew but that was definitely something i was thinking about a little bit um i went a little bit that way um and so i can talk about the some of them i can talk about the pop culture aspect too for sure otherwise some of them are like i just chose it because it's amazing so (laughs) um and what you know because some one of mine two of my how about this my honorable mentions which i have two of Neither one of them, I feel, have the significance on pop culture the way most of my list does. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I hear you there. Yeah. So um, I do have two honorable mentions. Do you? Yes, I do. Because you got to go first because it's my list. <laughs> right on. So um, I structured my list from least iconic to most iconic. Sure. Uh, just kidding. But uh, my first pick is definitely not very iconic, but... I love it so much as a visual and just conceptually. And that is uh, this character um, in My Hero Academia named Spinner, who is one of the villains. He is this big lizard looking man. He has his uh, superpower is called Gecko. Gecko. So he basically yep. looks like a giant gecko and he can do things that a gecko can do. But he has this giant sword like he's one of those giant sword anime characters And he only pulls out the sword a select few times. Like, it's not that he doesn't use it in every fight scene. He just kind of randomly will pull it out at certain times. But his sword is basically this giant amalgamation of a bunch of smaller blades. (laughs) So it's got this big old handle. And then it has, like, lashed and belted on and strapped onto that handle. He's got swords and knives and daggers just pointing out every direction. And uh, the first time I saw him pull it out uh, in the anime, I just cracked up because I was like, that is a crazy looking weapon. But it's also such a funny play on the classic sort of like big sword anime character stereotype. And uh, that's why that's why I picked this one. I just I think that character visual standpoint is so great. And uh, his sword is just really awesome. So, like I said, this one's not super iconic. But I love it so much that I had to uh, put it put it on my list, you know. 
when we were last time we were at Comic-Con, you were like you saw a guy cosplaying as the character and you're like, oh, I got to go get a picture with this because of the sword and all that stuff, which I totally understand. And since I don't know the anime um, like you do, um, one, I totally get the big sword anime thing Two, um, the costume looked fantastic and that sword looked badass. So Uh, so I might have. I'm it might have been guts from Berserk that I got a picture of with C two E two. So it might have been a different character, but uh oh. yeah, that keep keep going though. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry. Then I have my animes confused. My bad. Um however, for the sake of the spreadsheet, which I keep a massive list of all of our choices and all that stuff, what do you want me to write down? Oh yeah, so so you could just put Spinner's sword from My Hero Academia, or just Spinner's sword, whatever is okay. easiest. But yeah, the the character, his name is just Spinner, like a fidget spinner, and I really have no idea why that's his name, but <laughs> sure, is <laughs> what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, my first pick is um the portal gun. Um, and the reason it like first off, it's probably one of the coolest pieces of tech weaponry thing in like in my opinion in pop culture but it's not even really a weapon at the same time but it's yeah you know what i mean i just the portal gun from the video game portal is probably one of the coolest things ever um and when you start playing with it in the game it's you're like this is amazing like you want one yourself um and it's it's really really cool but it's not even really a weapon that's why it makes an honorable mention because i was like i really want to mention it because i think it's really unique and it's iconic because of the popularity of the game um but it's also like it's it's also a unique weapon that someone doesn't even have to cosplay as a portal as the character chell from portal they could just get the gun and walk around comic-con with it and people would like dude <laughs> where'd you get the portal gun you know what i mean like everyone knows that gun um and then if you haven't played portal seriously go try it out five hours of your life and you'd be it's it's well worth it um but no i don't know if your thoughts on portal the portal gun but i just i think it's great so Portal is a great pick for this list, and uh, I think when you think about pop culture level uh, weapons, and uh, I, I still don't know if you wanted to focus on the iconicness of things, Drew, but I think like a really good pop culture weapon will have a sort of simplicity to it, but also like complexity. And I feel like the portal gun and like the way it works, it is a very simple concept. You know, you have like you shoot out, and it has like this sort of like ring that you can jump through a portal with and you have like the red ring and the blue ring that indicate like whether you're going into or out of the portal and uh it's such a simple concept but there's so much complexity at the same time and it's really sophisticated in that way but i think this is a weapon that's also cemented itself into the pop cultural zetgeist or whatever you want to call it because you still see portal memes like people are still cosplaying portal stuff at comic-con uh we're approaching the holidays every year you see those memes of like somebody will have the upside down christmas tree with like the red ring on the carpet and then like the blue ring on the ceiling with the top of the christmas tree coming out and i might have gotten the ring colors wrong there but uh no this is just a great pick and uh yeah yeah just good call with this one you You know know what i'm not I don't think the ring colors matter, to be honest. <laughs> it's just one one end or the other sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's one end or the other. I think the 
because you you get one to begin with in the game. You get like the blue one first, and then you get the orange one. Is it that the order you get them? I don't remember. But I don't think it matters in the sense that you need to place a portal, but then you need to place another portal because you no matter because you can go in and out however you want. True. So, true. Yeah. Anyway, um, what's your next honorable mention? Yeah, so my next honorable mention is definitely, uh, I think, pretty memorable in general. But uh, I went with Freddy Krueger, Freddy Krueger's glove, um, and this is one that I picked because, honestly, when you think of the classic horror movies and the slasher characters, like you think of like in Scream, like Ghostface usually has that one knife that he's known for, and you have uh, Michael Myers, it's the same thing, like he's got that knife. You've got Leatherface has his chainsaw, but Freddy Krueger was one of the few characters that had he had this glove with blades attached to the fingers and it was something unique. It's it's something that you never saw another character have and uh, another character period have. Exact exactly and that's really what cemented this pick into my list for me is just I couldn't think of another horror sort of weapon that was that unique, but it's also super iconic. Like you see Freddy Krueger's silhouette and all you need to see is that sort of fedora esque hat that he has. And those, uh, those claws coming out of, I think it's his left hand that has the glove, but yeah, the claws coming out. I think it's his right. Like you, what's that? I think it's his right hand. Oh, and that's a good, that's now I want to look it up, but <laughs> I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the, like the silhouette because it's literally like you'll see the fedora. You don't need to see the rest of the face. You just needed to see that silhouette of the fedora. And he's always holding the glove in like this way. So you can see all the blades on the thumb, on the hand. You know, he's always holding it in this like. Oh, menacing right. way. It, yeah. <laughs> it is. It is the right hand. You're right. Yes, I, I win. So uh, good call. Um, but yeah, my main point was that his, his silhouette um, is just so it's so recognizable and it really comes down to that hat and that glove. And, uh, it's kind of funny. Uh, the reason I thought it was his left hand is, uh, I remember back in the day when I was in grade school, uh, one of my friends had a sleepover birthday party and what was going on at the birthday party was we were going to stay up all night and we were going to watch all the nightmare on Elm street movies. (laughs) It was one of those things like, don't tell your parents we're watching Freddy Krueger all night. (laughs) But my friend at that party told me that it was his left hand. Like he told everybody like, Oh, Freddy wears his glove on the left hand. And that's something that stuck with me for years. But you are correct. It is his right hand that he has the glove on. So I just thought I'd share that little bit because I think it's funny when you miss hear something as a kid and then it just sticks with you, at, you know, for life until you're at a party and then you look like a dumbass or something from it. So uh, good stuff. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. Well, my second honorable mention, um, our last one. Do you remember a movie from the 80s called Crawl? Oh, of course. Okay. If you've never seen the movie Crawl, um, this is a fantasy movie from the 80s. But it the best way of describing it is sci-fi fantasy. Because it's fantasy in the same sense of, like, Lord of the Rings. Like, sword and sorcery. But then they throw in, like, aliens and laser guns on top of it. Um it's incredibly unique. Um, it's really dark 
and violent and the practical effects are fantastic like for the time they're fantastic and there's a couple things there's a couple sequences that in my opinion still kind of hold up in terms of special effects and stunts and stuff but there's a weapon in the uh series in the movie called the glaive and um it's it looks like when you see it the first time it's this golden five-pointed like artifact looking thing and then he's got to use it as a weapon and he like activates it and these blades come out of it the sides and like it throws like a boomerang throwing star kind of a weapon um it's like the signature weapon from the movie like it's the artifact he's got to find to rescue the princess kind of situation but it's like the signature weapon at the same time and i just remember like as a kid thinking it was one of the coolest like fantasy sci-fi weapons from back in the day and it's it's one of those like it's iconic enough that there's this like uh cult subculture that really knows that series or that movie and if you like if the, the image will appear somewhere and someone will be like yeah crawl you know what i mean like someone will call it out like there's always one person in every crowd that knows that and will crawl call it out so yeah it's an honorable mention i had to bring it up because um, it's just a really cool weapon. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, the glaive also seen in uh, Ready Player One. Yes, um, it is in Ready Player One. <laughs> but uh, no, this is a good call. Um, I definitely thought about this pick or this item. I just didn't put it on my list. But uh, yeah, really good call. And honestly, it's been a long time since I've watched Krull. So that would be a fun movie to uh, revisit, actually. So. It, yeah, I actually, I haven't watched it in a while, but I was watching a YouTube video of um, it was it was uh, fantasy films from the 80s. And they literally were going through like in release order from like 1980 to 1989, all the fantasy films released. So like Willow and Conan and Crawl and like all this stuff. And there were ones that I didn't even know happened. And I was like, whoa, what is this? It was just really kind of cool. And it was like. It was like maybe a 30 minute YouTube video and it was like almost like a documentary in the sense that they kept showing us these little things. So fun stuff. That's that sounds pretty cool. Anyway, um, what's your first actual pick for the night? Yeah, so uh, I can keep the fantasy train going. Uh, My first pick, uh, I actually went with Inigo Montoya's sword from uh, The Princess Bride. Um, there's a number of uh, if you want to go back to uh, just fantasy movies, there's a number of so- just swords you could go with. Like when you t- when you're talking about like, you know, uh, Willow, you could go with Mad Mardigan's sword. You could go with Sting or any of the other swords in the yeah. Lord of the Rings movies. So many options. But uh, Inigo Montoya's sword, the way it's presented in Princess Bride I just think it's so memorable and it's such a beautiful weapon. Like before Wesley and Inigo's fight, like on the top of the cliffs, cliffs of insanity. I remember when he first, when he, he kind of first shows off his sword at that part and how it's just so sparkling and just looks like such a beautiful piece of artistry. And then to top it off, he's just like a great swordsman who's been, um, training like his you know his entire life to get revenge for his father's death and uh and he's, he's it's not a, left-handed so <laughs> absolutely 
<laughs> but it's it's just it's just a beautiful looking weapon. It's got such a cool context and story behind it. Um, and it's from one of my favorite movies of all time. So uh, I just had to go with this one. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts on this one, Drew. But uh, yeah, that's my first. It's a gorgeous sword. And um, what's interesting about it is like what didn't make my list is it's very similar. Like it's the same style of sword. So it's a rapier. But yeah. it's very similar to D'Artagnan's sword from Three Musketeers. And, right. Um, it's just, and when I say similar, it's the it's that gold jeweled hilt like looking sword. Um, it's definitely one of the cooler swords from that movie. Um, I always liked Wesley's swords, but a little bit better because I liked the silver look a lot. Um, but yeah. it definitely doesn't shimmer and shine the way Inigo's does. Um. The uh, but yeah, no, the rapier is actually one of my favorite types of swords in terms of like fantasy and fencing and all that stuff. I, I just think it's really cool. Um, I think it's I, probably because of the speed. Um, but yeah, I, that's a really great sword, so good call, yeah, for sure. And I will say, like, I put this one lower on my list because I felt like it wasn't necessarily the most unique pick. But it also is iconic, and it is a great uh, weapon, so I had to go yeah. with it, you know. What's interesting about the swords is, like, I literally was like, I could just spend a whole night making a list of favorite swords, to be completely honest. Yeah. Like, when I was doing, when I was putting together this list, it was like, wow, I could do all kinds of swords. And just, that's what we could talk about. Um, but, yeah, and then, then I was like, I don't, I can't do that, because that, yeah. Uh -huh. You could also go the other route and do a list that's nothing but lightsabers. So, <laughs> that's True. another. Yeah. True. Um. <laughs> All right, so my first one tonight, my first actual pick, is the Batarang. Oh, um, nice. So what's interesting about the Batarang is that it's probably one of the most famous weapons out there in terms of, like, everyone knows what it is, everyone knows what it's associated with, it's a signature weapon for a character, it's a signature weapon for the whole Bat family, if you will. However, it's also evolved. So when you look at, when you look at, uh, the comic books, he uses the Batarangs for sure. But then let's look at the uh, live action slash animated media for a minute. You go to the Adam West series and he's got his Batarangs. And yeah, he mostly uses them for use for attaching the rope and he'll throw them. So they'll like hook on the rope uh, for them to climb up the building. Or you jump to the animated series and they use Batarangs constantly. Um you jump to the Christian Bale movies and the Batarangs are more of a throwing star um, yeah. than an actual boomerang. Um, you jump to the Michael Keaton film and the Batarang and uh, Batman Returns, it's remote controlled. You know, and he can fly it around and like hit multiple people with the one throw. Yeah, um, there's there's different variants of it and it's evolved over the years and they've done a lot of different things with him. But it's. You know, me being a Batman fan, it was it was one of the first things I wrote down on my short list. I'm like, there's no way I can't talk about the Batarang tonight. So. <laughs> so, yeah, the the Batarang is a great pick. Um, I actually almost picked uh, Batman's grappling gun uh, for this list, but I didn't well, think sure. it necessarily fit the bill. But uh, no, the Batarang, such a good pick. It's so iconic. Um, I always loved how uh, the the uh christopher nolan movies how the batarang looked exactly like that bat symbol and it just looked like sharp like uh one of my buddies actually that's, that's the one that was primarily more of a throwing star if you will yeah 
yeah one of my buddies actually bought at a uh comic convention or something he bought a replica one of those that's actually like super sharp like you could literally hurt somebody with it <laughs> which is pretty great but uh then i also think of like in batman v superman the first time you see batman in that movie and you have the two uh cops who are kind of going into that sort of like uh crime scene i don't i don't know if it was like an abandoned warehouse or whatever but you see the batarang stuck in the wall and you just see it there and it's such like an ominous presence to just this this batarang stuck in the wall and it kind of uh i don't know if i really thought about this till just now but it kind of feels like a little bit of like an updated version of like how uh you know zorro he would like scratch Z's into everything with his sword. And like, I feel like the Batarang has a little bit of that sort of presence. Like Batman can throw a Batarang into a wall or a lamppost or something and it'll stick there. But it also like sits there as a reminder of like Batman's here. So everybody needs to chill the F out. (laughs) Everybody needs to to watch out because Batman's going to kick your ass if you got out of line. And uh, no, I just love that as a concept as well. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, good call. All right. Uh, what do you got? What's the next one? Yeah, so to keep the comic book picks going, I actually went with, and this one feels weird, but I think it counts. I went with uh, Wolverine's Adamantium Claws. And this is maybe the one that I don't know if it counts or not, but because you think about how it See, is. I say it an- counts. It made my short list. I say it counts. So go yeah, ahead it, and make There you go. It is like part of his anatomy, but then he was his skeleton was coated in adamantium and uh, because of his mutant powers, he's like one of the only beings that could ever survive something like that. But the thing about Wolverine's claws is due to the character, due to his unique backstory, his unique skill set, it's one of those things where he's like the only character where this would work for. It has such a cool story behind it, but it's also such a striking iconic image when you have Wolverine standing there. And I don't care if he is in the yellow spandex. I don't care if he's in the brown spandex. I don't care if he's standing there in jeans and a tank top. He looks just badass and iconic and you would immediately know it's wolverine when you see those claws and uh when you think of iconic weapons one of the marks of like an iconic weapon to me is how many times do other properties try to copy it and uh when it comes to wolverine's claws so many comic books have tried to copy that look. You have stuff like uh, the Faust comics. You have like Shadowhawk. You have like a, a handful of characters in the 90s. Like so many people have tried to do something similar to Wolverine. Um, and nobody's really pulled it off because it's one of those things where you can't beat the original. And uh, it's just such a badass pick. Like I just had to go with it. And I could go on and on, but it's really just me gushing over like, his claws it's such a cool concept it's such a unique thing i don't i don't know what else to say you know (laughs) well we're no and you're right it is it's it's an incredibly iconic piece and people have tried to copy it in the past i mean but the people who've copied it the best have been marvel when you look at like x23 and like she has adamantium claws but she's like basically wolverine and then you have lady deathstrike who it's like adamantium fingernails you know what i mean so you have these moments where marvel has done it and made it compelling, but it's all wrapped back around to Wolverine again. Um, but even when Wolverine, even when you take Wolverine out of um, 
like when you look, go to uh, Days of Future Past, X Men Days of Future Past, the film, and you see Wolverine with the bone claws because he hasn't because they have to go back in time and he hasn't gotten the adamantium yet. Yeah, um, it's still amazing. So just Wolverine's claws in general, it's such a really cool weapon. He can put them away really fast. He can pop them out really fast. Um, you know, it's those claws pop, and you know he means business. You know what I mean? It's just snick snicked, and then you know I mean go back to like. Go back to like mall rats when you know Jay was like doing this whole Wolverine thing in the middle of the mall there. <laughs> Shall I call you Logan Weapon X? And he's like, no, Wolverine. You know, it's just <laughs> yeah, classic. <laughs> um, yeah, Wolverine's claw is a good call. Now, um, I'm gonna keep it on the comic book thing one more time because it's my last comic book related one, and um, I'm gonna go with the most powerful weapon in the known comic universe, and that's the Green Lantern ring. Oh, uh, good. And and I only say it's the most powerful is because when you read the comics, they constantly refer to it as the most powerful weapon in the universe. <laughs> um, I'm not making that up. That's exactly what it's referred to as you read the comic. Uh, but the Green Lantern ring, it's, you know, you have the Guardians of the Universe who created the Guardians on Oa, created the Lantern Rings to create a basically a space police force to help protect the known universe. You know, and you have Hal Jordan, who is the first Earth Green Lantern, and he gets the ring, and he um, goes to become Green Lantern. And you have this, it's a ring that gives him superpowers, and it basically can be, it makes anything your imagination can conceive. So whether you need a car or an airplane, or if you need a sword or a gun or a minigun or a rocket launcher or a laser or a giant fist or, you know, it doesn't matter. Like whatever your imagination can conceive, the ring can produce. And it's basically the weapon of the Green Lantern. Now, when you look at the lanterns in general, there's seven, there's several of the spectrum, there's different colors of the spectrum. So there's the red lanterns and yellow lanterns and so on. Um, but green tends to be the most powerful as you read the comics. What I think is really interesting is that green is the power of will. So like willpower, right? Yeah. Um, which when you think about it, it's more is the ring the power is the ring, the weapon or is willpower the weapon? Um, exactly. And <laughs> you know what? You know what I mean? And I know that's kind of going deep a little bit on the Green Lantern comic, but is willpower the weapon? And I say that because the, the rings have to be charged. OK, you have to go up to the lantern, but you have to go to the lantern and it charges the ring and then the ring has the ability. But and the ring will dwindle in power and then you got to recharge it. But when you get to a point and how Jordan understands how important willpower is to keep going and that will to win, that will to survive, the will to protect others and so on, the will to be the hero. Um, his willpower is so strong that it almost his willpower charges the ring. So like even when he's like at the end, he's like he's got nothing left because of his ability to keep going, keeps the ring going, which is really awesome. <laughs> so um, but yeah, so but the Green Lantern ring, you know, I don't know. That's I, I became a Green Lantern fan over the over over the time and actually reading comics and stuff. And um, I've read a, I've read actually read a lot of Green Lantern. And I think it's it's one of the coolest comic books out there that uh, I'm hoping that when they get to the show they can do it some real justice but right on no this this is a great pick i think um i love that you focused on the aspect of like 
this is the most powerful weapon in the universe or whatever the terminology you you used before was because this is a weapon where it is like the only limits are your own imagination and uh, i think that's a really cool concept and it uh you read a green lantern comic and uh, the visuals of it and the colors and everything are just so amazing to see and uh no this this was just a good call overall so nice yeah all right man what's your next one yeah, so for my next one, um, I went with another one that I felt was super unique when you think about it, and that is the uh, Proton Pack. Uh, hey, we matched, from... matched on this. Okay, great. So I love the Ghost. We would, but you never know. What's that? I figured we would, but you never know. <laughs> I love the Ghostbusters movies. Like, they're always a great time. And uh, I don't know. I kept coming back to this pick when I was putting my list together. And it's not just that, like, the Proton Packs have, like, a very unique sort of uh, function to them and a very unique sort of look. They're also just a really unique weapon. Like, this is a movie that created something brand new with the Proton Packs. Like, we've never seen a Proton Pack before or since the Ghostbusters. And uh, that was a big piece of what I think was awesome about it, you know? But then at the same time you're putting your list together and you're just thinking about when you're a kid and you just want to run around to be a ghostbuster, you know? <laughs> so Yeah. And that's, I don't know that's what, what this one was. Well, that's what did it for me was sitting around, like running around the backyard with a backpack on and a, you know, a super soaker, like pretending to be a ghostbuster. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like trying to find like, what do I have that looks like a cord to attach the super soaker to the backpack you know what i mean so like do i have a broken phone cord to tie it up so i can you know how do i how do i attach the bat super soaker to my backpack so it looks like it's sitting there and i can pull it out you know it's just those little things um but the proton pack is just when we first saw that as kids you're just like oh my god like <laughs> this is amazing like everybody wanted one and that's why that scene in ghostbuster 2 is really funny when he's like hey Oh, you're the Ghostbusters. Do you guys have one of those Proton Pack things? My kid, my kid brother really wants one. Though. Like, it's not really a toy. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, the Proton Pack is just—it's—it's it's great, and I love, and I love that it hasn't gone away. And it's not gonna. But when you look at like the new Ghostbuster movies, you're just like, where are they gonna go with this? What are they gonna do in the realm of things? And when you see the Proton Pack for the first time, you're like, yes, turn it on. I want to hear that sound. I want to. I, I love the that that sound effect when they turn it on for the first time. Uh, that I don't know that twing like whatever that sound is. Like it's just I it's I absolutely love it. Um, it's so cool. Um, and it's so funny. Like when they turn it on when they're in the elevator in the first film, and they all kind of he's like switch me on, and they turn it on, and everyone kind of backs away from him because they don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and just related to some of the stuff you were just saying, though, um, my son is actually at the age where he's like wanting to run around and play Ghostbusters, too. And like, you know, I gave him an old backpack at some point that he'll wear. And he has like a, he actually got somebody gave him like as a birthday present, like a little like it's kind of like a Ghostbusters Nerf gun, but it shoots out little uh, like marshmallow darts, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> And he has one of those that he runs around with. But uh, no, it's just awesome. Like, who knew the Ghostbusters as a franchise would be lasting this long? But uh, it's great. And we've got the new movie coming out. And uh, yeah, just awesome stuff. Yeah, right on. All right. Um, we match. So that goes back to you, man. Yeah. So uh, going on to uh, 
my only other anime pick I have, and uh, Drew, actually, we kind of uh, didn't bury the lead with this one. Uh, this, I actually went with Gut Sword from Berserk, which well, is I actually think I was taking a picture of at C2E2. Uh, Spinner from My Hero Academia. I've never seen a cosplayer of that character in person, so I'm willing to bet it was uh, somebody was cosplaying Guts, um, and he's got this huge, massive sword and uh, kind of this, like, dark gray sort of black sort of just like awesome looking armor um i don't know if that sounds like the same character you have in your mind drew <laughs> yes uh i i do but that's the thing like i haven't i just don't know those two characters so I, yeah <laughs> well um the reason i picked um guts's sword um it's kind of hard to know where to begin but He's a big sword anime character, and uh, he's from a manga that has, I don't think really has any other big sword characters. Like, there might be a villain here or there, but for the most part, he's, like, the only one. And he has this really unique backstory where he has, like, this sort of, like, tragic past. Uh, he was kind of found um, as a baby and taken into this... Uh, warrior clan and kind of raised on the battlefield and uh, the book sh the book shows how he was like as a kid he would practice swords play with grown-up swords because that's what he had access to so he was using these massive swords to uh practice those skills and that's why as a full-grown adult he has this just massive like crazy uh weapon that he uses and uh, i actually wrote it down there's a uh description of his sword that's repeated throughout the manga a bunch and i just always love this for kind of just like a poetic little bit but the way it's described is uh it was too big to be called a sword massive thick heavy and far too rough indeed indeed it was a heap of raw iron and uh if you read the comic or if you watch the anime that's exactly what it is it is this giant just like big piece of metal that's strapped onto this big old handle and it looks extremely practical it looks like it could exist as a real weapon but it also looks so heavy that it would be hard to uh pick up but it's just a weapon that's so cool because berserk is such a gory fantasy series where you are just watching this character cleave through villains and uh, demons and monsters and it's just such a cool weapon and i'm not even putting into justice <laughs> how good this weapon is uh the sword is referred to as the dragon slayer that's the uh, name for it uh in the manga and uh, the last thing i'll say because i don't think i touched on this yet and i don't know if you can put all the blame onto berserk but i think this was one of the first sort of um big sword anime characters out there like okay. berserk started in i want to say like the manga started in the late 80s or early 90s and oh. uh this is a character who has or this is a series that has had massive impact but i think this was one of the first sort of like really big sword characters that really influenced um you know everything to come when you think of whether it's like final fantasy or like a handful of other video game or anime characters like if, if you've been to a comic con or an anime convention you've seen the big sword dudes like the cosplayers walking around so you know what i'm talking about but uh yeah, yeah i don't i don't have to go this, on and on about this one but yeah do you know if berserk is streaming somewhere that's a good question um 
Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. Cool. Yeah, I could, I could try to look that up, but. <laughs> well, I was looking, I was Googling images of the sword so I could like kind of look at it. Uh, yeah. Just, I mean, it looks, it looks awesome. But yeah, I mean, in terms of like, um, in terms of influence on the big sword anime people, like you're, I mean, if you're right on that, like how long ago it like debuted is probably, a, um, there's probably some truth to that being one of the first. Um, it's interesting that this is how it segues in. Cause I was, I was originally planning on talking about this earlier. Um, right. But just the way things played out, like get the comic book stuff out of the way, that kind of thing. My next pick was Cloud's Buster Sword from Final Fantasy VII. Awesome. Uh, I had a feeling you were going to pick this one, and uh, well, this is an awesome pick, you know. Man, I really was, like, battling this. Like, it was literally like, what swords do I pick? Because, honestly, the, the Elucidator, the black one from Sword Art Online, is probably one of my favorite sword, physical sword designs ever in the history of swords. Um, I just, I'm like, I don't, I'm, it's still kind of new in my mind in terms of like, you know, going back to like childhood and like how long has it been around for me and stuff like that. But Cloud's Buster Sword, uh, one, the game itself speaks for itself. This is a, this is one of those, um, big anime sword, um, situations, um, just like, just like, uh, Gut Sword and Berserk. Um, and the Buster Sword has the, if you watch like Final Fantasy VII Advent Children and you see how all the other swords like link into it and come apart from it and stuff like that. Um, and some of the crazy things you can do with it. Um, I do remember being at a Comic-Con one time and someone had a actual cloud sword that they were selling. It was incredibly expensive, but it was real and it was made out of metal. And I'm like, can I try and pick this up? And he laughed and he goes, you can try. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It was really, it was really heavy. And you think to yourself, well, it's a good thing that's an anime because they're not going to be running around swinging that thing the way they do in real life, in the anime in real life. Um, <laughs> but that's where the fantasy part comes in. But Cloud awesome. Sword has always been like a in fa- fascination of mine. Like the, the size of it, he should not be able to swing it that fast. He should not be that proficient with it. He should not be able to do some of the things he can do with it. Um, but that being said... Um, the Buster Sword is probably one of the, it's just, I, I love the design of it and I love the iconography of it. Um, yeah, I just, that's really all I got on the Buster Sword. So, yeah, no, this is a great pick. I love this, the, this weapon, especially the look of it. And it truly is an iconic weapon. Like if you were going to put together like a top 10 list of most well-known video game weapons, like, I feel like this is super high up there and, um, this also is like, as far as like big sword anime characters go, like this sword is, I think, one of the ones that really made that like, uh, I'm trying to think of the terminology because like this, like Final Fantasy VII is such an iconic game and it was so beloved and widespread that I feel like it caused like a whole generation to be really into this sort of like big sword anime character. <laughs> yeah. Stuff. Final it Fantasy may have drit like, you know, Gut Sword may have like influenced the Buster Sword from Final Fantasy VII, but then I feel like Final Fantasy VII influenced the, hey, big swords, everyone needs big swords. <laughs> oh, a- a- absolutely. I-, I would absolutely agree with that. And um, 
Oh, I'm glad you commented on Advent Children, because I think when you watch that movie and you see how Cloud's sword works and how there's different variants of it, and he has different swords that kind of like, he can kind of customize his sword as he goes. Like he has different swords that fit into that same big buster sword that he uses. And it's really hard to describe unless you watch it and you see how the mechanics of that weapon work. But I thought, I remember watching that movie and thinking it was such a beautiful representation of, like, how JRPGs work. Like, you play, like, an RPG and you have, like, some character who's a swordsman and you, they have all these crazy weapons. Like, you have your uh, your stores, you have your this backlog of, like, all these weapons that you've won or bought. But when you switch weapon, especially in those old games... Usually it looks exactly the same on the screen. You know, it's like you're fighting the next monster and you're using your whatever kind of weapon, but it really looks like the same sword you were looking at using before. And I think that movie does such a beautiful job of illustrating like how Cloud has so many different swords with so many different abilities that he can kind of pack into this single holster that he's carrying around. And I thought that was really cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah. The Buster Sword, man. And, uh, if you have access to it, uh, Final Fantasy VII Remake and Rebirth are out now. Um, and then they remade uh, Crisis Core, which is out as well if you want to play around with it. Otherwise, Final Fantasy Advent Children, check it out because it's – I thought it was – it's – if you know the Final Fantasy series, great. If you don't, I think you just have fun watching it. So, Right on. Um, all right, man. Final pick. I really think you and I both matched on this one. If we didn't, I'd be shocked. But what do you got for me? So I think we might have matched with kind of weapon, but because uh, I feel like you might have gone with a lightsaber. Um, and I, I don't know. Go, if I did go with a lightsaber in a general sense. So unless you went with a oh. specific one. OK, so I actually went with uh, Darth Maul's lightsaber. <laughs> I want more specific. And that's because I I was putting this list together and this was honestly the first thing I thought of because I keep going back to myself in fifth or sixth grade, however old I was when I first saw the uh, trailer for episode one and just that badass shot of Darth Maul, you know, putting out both blades of his lightsaber ready to fight Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon on Naboo. And like, I just remember that screenshot went viral before going viral was a thing. Everybody who saw that trailer was so pumped about it. And uh, I went on to watch the movie and just be so enthralled still when I finally saw the movie. And uh, to this day, Darth Vader or Darth Maul, I mean, is one of my favorite Star Wars characters. So, yeah, I don't know his his lightsaber. I've always loved the design of it. And uh, it's the double blade thing felt so new and fresh at the time. And I feel like it didn't feel as, uh, you know, like in star Wars, you have like the inquisitors lightsabers and stuff that spin around and stuff. And I kind of liked that Darth Maul's lightsaber was still really simple and still really rooted in like classical martial arts, but it also felt very unique and fresh at the time. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just really love this, uh, this weapon. So, yeah. So, um, <laughs> So I was convinced that we matched on this one for sure, but I was going to ask you what your favorite lightsaber was, but I, gotcha. I, put, I put the lightsaber on for a general sense weapon because there's so many and um, it's hard to narrow down which one you like the best. Um, don't get me wrong. Darth Maul's double bladed lightsaber is really cool. Um, however, 
Um, when you look at the lightsaber by itself, it's probably one of the most genius weapons ever to grace the pages, screens, imagination of any pop culture thing out there. When you look at what the weapon is compared to the use and all that stuff, I mean, the movie lays it out very simply. It's an elegant weapon. It's the weapon of a Jedi Knight. It's not as clumsy or random as a blaster. It can be very precise, but it's also one that requires a great deal of training and all that stuff. But then when you look at the mythology of the hero's journey and having to pick up the sword and, you know, having to pick up the sword and then go on the adventure, um, there's that Joseph Campbell mythology aspect to it. And what's really interesting about it is the the sword is one thing where it was, you know, a weapon of war. It was a weapon of peace and all that stuff. And then be, eventually be kind of came more of a symbol than anything else because they moved into guns like that became the primarily weapon because swords were the primary weapon of warfare. And then it became guns and the sword became more of a staple symbol than anything else. And then George Lucas gave us swords back when he made Star Wars and everyone was like, oh, but if I have a laser sword, you know, like it, it's compact, I can just hang it on my belt and then boom, it, like there it is. And it can make some noise and it cuts through literally everything except another lightsaber, you, you know, um, like it cuts through everything like butter. Uh, but it made swords almost like super cool once again. And there's actually a really cool documentary. If you haven't watched this, I highly recommend watching it. It's on Amazon Prime. I know it's on Amazon Prime. Um, I don't know if you can find it anywhere else. Uh, maybe on the Freebie app, but that's also through Amazon. Um, it's narrated by John Reese davies who played Sala in Indiana Jones. But the documentary is called Reclaiming the Blade. And it's basically the history of the sword. And they start out with some, you know, where the sword started from as a weapon of war and like medieval times, they cover some of that stuff. And then they get into sword on television and film and they talk about Errol Flynn with Robin hood. And they talk about the three musketeers and stuff and novels and classic literature. And then eventually they get to the movies where they're like, and then the lightsaber was introduced and they do this whole thing about how the lightsaber in, um, influenced a lot of sword stuff post star Wars leading up to, and then they start covering LARPing and like all this stuff by the end of the documentary, if you don't want to pick up a sword and go swinging it around the backyard, I'd be shocked, <laughs> but it's a really, really cool documentary. It was made just after Lord of the Rings uh, finished filming uh, return of the King. So you get some Lord of the Rings stuff with some of the actors in there as well, but they, that's as far as they got in terms of uh, shooting. But the lightsaber just kind of created this like there's a there's a romance to it as well um, that the sword and like fencing and all that stuff had uh, back in the day that just kind of brought it forward to modern times. The lightsaber in general was my final pick. I thought about it. That was one of the reasons I wanted to do the list anyway, to just talk about the weapon as a whole. Um, I could probably continue and do a whole show on it if we really wanted to. Um I don't know if you have well, anything to add with what I just said, because I know I went on a bit of a tangent, but. Well, you've kind of said it all, and you've said it all so well. Um, so I don't want to impede on that at all, but I'm going to actually throw it back to you and ask a question that you were planning on asking me. Yeah. What's your favorite lightsaber? So my favorite lightsaber is Anakin's lightsaber, um, which would be the one that Luke gets at the beginning of episode four. Um, okay. A lot of times it gets referred to as Luke's lightsaber. It's the blue one. 
Um, he has it in episode four. He has it in episode five, gets his hand cut off. We don't get to see it again until the prequels when Anakin's using it. And then obviously that's the one Ray picks up. The reason I like it, first off, I like the color. I think blue is my favorite color for lightsabers. But I love the hilt, the handle, the design of the hilt, I think is so cool looking um, compared to all the other lightsaber hilts out there. There's some really cool lightsaber hilts. Don't get me wrong. There's some definitely some really cool ones. But I've always, for some reason, just loved that original hilt. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my favorite. And don't get me wrong. The Darth Maul double bladed one is great. But <laughs> I've, just... I've thought for another list I've always kept in my back pocket is we could do our top five favorite lightsabers at one point. And I don't know if that's getting too niche. Like, I don't know if people want to listen to us nerd out about specific lightsaber hilts and stuff. But uh, I always thought that could be a fun one as well, because there's a couple other ones I could definitely go into, you know, it, it could be. <laughs> um, it could be. Uh you think if that think on it and if it's that's something you think you want to try and pull out like let's do it because i could go through those for sure but yeah like whether it's a whether you're using two lightsabers or one or you got a double bladed like a lightsaber it's one of the greatest i think it's one of the best most ingenious weapons out there it's also in terms of film it's so ingenious that there's no blood when you use it it's caught aside from the original film i don't, <laughs> I was about I don't, to say. <laughs> I don't want someone to call me out there but aside from that, not Ponda Boba, you're okay. <laughs> as long as you're not Ponda Boba, right. There's that one shot where there's blood on the floor. I get it. But if you look at all the other uh, times the lightsabers used to cut someone's arm off or a limb off or something like that, it's always cauterized as it cuts. So it's mm -hmm. hot enough that it's cauterizing as it goes. So it's sealing the wound. So there's no, <laughs> you know, there's no... Uh, there's no blood and it's kind of genius that way. So, you know, in terms of practical, it's there's the cut and you're done. So, yeah. Um, yeah, man, that kind of brings you should watch the documentary, though. Reclaiming the Blade. It's really, really yeah. cool. That sounds awesome. I'm going to write that down. Um, and then while you're on Amazon, look up upload because I've told you to watch it several times. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, all right. Peter, that brings us to the end of the list, which means it's your pick for next week. What do we got? Yeah, so, um, you know, I this week we were just talking about Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. You have, uh, you have this cartoon, this animated series based on a comic as well as a movie, and you have all of the actors from the movie coming back to be voice actors in this animated series. Um, there's also some other, like, animation to live action stuff going on. There's a uh, there's a Legend of Zelda movie that's in the work works. They're going to be doing a live action Legend of Zelda series. I actually saw it was funny. I, I thought this was hilarious, but I guess Machine Gun Kelly had a quote where he said, if I'm not cast as Link in this new Legend of Zelda movie, we have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> which I don't think that's true. I don't think we have a problem if Machine Gun Kelly isn't cast as Link. But I also uh, think Machine Gun Kelly, no. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That'd be great. Anyways, Just... um, <laughs> where I was going with all this is I thought it would be cool to talk about, it's hard to, this took me a while to get the wording of this down, but I want to talk about our top five favorite live action portrayals of 2D characters. So we're talking about live action movies that are portraying 2D characters from either comics, cartoons, video games, stuff like that. 
and which actors we thought pulled it off best. So does that make sense? So like, if you want to say like Robert Downey Jr. is like one of your picks because of how he played this comic book two-dimensional character Iron Man and how he played him so well, like that could be one of your picks. I hope that makes sense. But I thought this was kind of a unique kind of cool idea. It, it is. Um, let me, yes, it is. And just cause you brought up Legend of Zelda, give me one second before we close this episode out, because it was something I saw that made me laugh. Um, there was a casting cause they started like live action Zelda got announced and then there was, uh, it wasn't a casting. It was more of a, an actor was like, I think it'd be cool if, yeah, here it is. Hunter Schaefer, um, from Euphoria said, um, I love the game. Personally, I've played as a kid and I still play it now. Who knows? It'd be really cool to play Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> Did he actually say that? <laughs> she said that, yeah. And it's just like, yeah. Like, yeah, she's like, I'll play Zelda. That'd be great. Like, I'm, I'm a big fan. <laughs> um, that's not a casting company saying, hey, she's playing Zelda. But um, I'd be totally down for Hunter Schaefer being Zelda in the Legend of Zelda movie. So, Yeah. Anyway, um, all right, well, live-action portrayals of 2D characters. Yeah, that's going to take, take some thought. So uh, that's what we're talking about next week. Uh, Peter, I think that brings us to the end of this episode. So you want to close this one out? Uh, yeah, sure thing. All right, everybody, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, including a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can hit us up there, social media, either way works. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also uh, leave us a review. We love those five stars. But we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. You can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Peter, what about you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I will be explaining how I'm pretty sure that Santa Claus can access the Speed Force. <laughs> he, 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 I probably can. That makes complete sense now. Um, <laughs> And it, and it helps with the explanation. All right, everybody, <laughs> for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.